Okay, so we're up to chapter 11 in Acts, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 18. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The, boy, the voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Well, sometimes in the conversations that happen, uh, when we're thinking and talking about taking the good news of Jesus to new cultures, to new peoples, especially overseas, sometimes the idea, uh, this idea called the noble savage comes up. Uh, it's a little bit of an antiquated phrase, but it still goes around. And it's the idea that there might be a tribe out there, a group of people, who've never heard about God, they've never heard of the Jews, uh, they've never heard about Jesus, they've never had the gospel of Jesus, but they've seen creation, they, and they honour God, they see creation and think, oh, there must be a God who made this amazing, this world. And they try and honour God, they fear God in their hearts with what they know, they pray to him, but they just don't know Jesus. And, and the, the discussion goes, well, what do you say to this tribe? What do you say to this noble, savage uh, who fears God, they just don't know Jesus. Do they really need saving or uh, do we just need to explain to them, hey, you're, you're already saved, you're already following God, let me tell you his name. His name's Jesus. It, what, what do you do in that, uh, in that context? Uh, really that question is the question, well, it's this question, do truly good people need Jesus? Do truly good people need Jesus? Uh, maybe you've thought about this in, in our culture. Um, uh, the, the person, and I'm sure you can think of that person uh, at the moment, they're, they're moral, 
they're gen- generous, they're, they're really genuine, they're authentic. They actually believe in God. They believe in God, they even pray. They say, yeah, I pray, I believe in God. You see it in their life. They, they're generous, they're kind, they're loving. But they, they just don't actively follow Jesus. Whether it's here or abroad, that question, do we really need to push Jesus on them? Do we need to pursue them with Jesus? Do we need to challenge them and say, hey, I, I know you're good, I know you pray, I know you believe in God, but you're, you're not a Christian. You're not saved. You're not in God's family. Do we really need to do that? Well, today's passage in Acts, it raises a few questions, and this being one of them, uh, but it is a big slab of narrative, two whole chapters. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to review uh, Acts um, 10 to 11, and then we're going to tease out these four questions this passage raises. It raises lots of questions, but here's four that I saw. Uh, and, and this passage raises and answers them. And at each point we'll think, well, what does it mean for us? So, so we'll be asking those questions. Does God have favourites? Do good people need Jesus? Is God hiding? And how does God save people? They're the questions that are raised in this passage that we're going to seek to answer. So first of all, uh, let's whiz through the flow of things uh, and see uh, these different scenes. We'll we'll flick through Acts 1 to 11. Oh, there we are. Uh, Acts 1 to 11. And we've got these, I guess, five scenes uh, in 1 to 11. And we'll we'll flick through them and hopefully you get the, the picture of it. Uh, and I find it really helpful, especially in narrative scenes, to think of it uh, as, as, as a theatre and when would the scene change happen. It helps me remember the flow of the story. Uh, what's, what's scene one before you need to change the background in the old school, uh, school, school play? Uh, so scene one, it's got to be Cornelius and his vision, doesn't it? Um, so Cornelius, uh, we're introduced to one of these main ca- characters. Uh, he's a Roman, he's a centurion, he's quite high up in the military, uh, so he's qualified to lead 100 men, although he might not be currently doing that. He's, he's respected, he's wealthy, he's powerful. That's what it means if you're a centurion in the Roman Empire. Uh, but he's not just a powerful, wealthy man, he's also godly. It's incredible, what a combination. He's godly, look at those words, he's generous. He's devout, he prays, he fears God. Like, who is this guy, Cornelius? Uh, this is, you've got to think, this is going to be the hero, isn't it? Scene one. And God gives him a vision. Uh, God has noticed, God has remembered, if you like, that's the language the passage uses, he's remembered or noticed uh, Cornelius' prayers uh, and his devotion and his generosity. Uh, and so he responds to Cornelius and he sends, uh, well, he says, hey, I'm going to respond. I want you to do something. Uh, send some people down to Joppa to the house of a Simon the Tanner. Go get this guy, Simon Peter. So he does. He, he sends a couple of people down. So that's, that's scene one. Uh, and scene one finishes with uh, a few of Cornelius' servants. They're about to enter Joppa where Peter is and the scene changes. Uh, scene two, Peter and his vision. Uh, and the scene here is Peter's on a roof, uh, one of those flat terrace roofs of the ancient uh, Near East. And, there, and, he, and he's, he's on the roof and he's hungry. And I don't know if you've, uh, you've ever had a, tr- a vision or a trance when you're hungry, but he's on the roof, he's praying uh, and, and he's hungry and he gets this vision 
uh, of all these animals. Now, that's not uncommon for me when I'm hungry, but this particular vision, it's not just the animals that Peter was used to eating, it's also all the animals that were forbidden for the Jews to eat, the one that were despicable to Jewish people. Uh, and, and, uh, and, a, and a voice tells him to get up and eat it. Um, but Peter says no. He's, it's, it's this uh, gut revulsion from Peter. Uh, it, clearly it's a vision from God, and Peter, as he famously does, sort of turns around and says, I know better than you, God, but he, he just can't do it. It's this gut, re- he's, ah, nothing like that has ever passed my lips. I'm not going there. Uh, no way. Uh, but the voice from heaven uh, really warns him, do not call unclean what God's made clean. So this is the scene, uh, he's still scratching his head. You can see him there, he sort of comes around from the trance. He's going, wow, what is going on? And it says he's thinking about it uh, when the people from Cornelius arrive. Uh, he goes down, they go, wow, something's going on here. They come inside, stay overnight, next day, next scene. Uh, the next scene is Peter arriving at Cornelius's house. Uh, and it's just incredible. Uh, Cornelius hasn't spent the day idly since he's had his vision. He's gathered all his friends and relatives. God said, hey, there's someone coming to tell you a message from me. And Cornelius says, I want everyone I know to be there. So Peter arrives and there's a, there's a whole bunch of people there. Uh, they're gathered, they're waiting eagerly. What are they gonna do? What, what's going to happen? Um, so, so Peter stands up and he, he recognizes there's been a cha- change. He says, previously, you will know this, Cornelius, you'll know this, Gentiles, it's against our law for me to be doing this. It's against our Jewish law, I'm a a Jew, that's where I've come from, I'm now a Christian, but it's against our law for me to be in your home. Uh, It's not, that's not right, I shouldn't be doing this, but there's been a change, God has shown me, God has shown me that there's been a change through this vision, that there's no distinction. Uh, And then he goes on to give them the message. Uh, First he says, hey, it was actually the Jewish message. You've probably heard that message that's been going around, preached, the message of Jesus, but it's only been preached to the Jews. Peter says that, it's only gone to the Jews so far. But then he gives it to them. He summarizes the message. Uh, And to the crux of it in verses 42, 43, the crux of the gospel, this message about Jesus, that Jesus is the judge who will judge the living and the dead. And Jesus is the one through whom forgiveness of sins will come. That's this message, that this gospel that's gone to the Jews so far. And now Peter's saying, hey, God's shown me. I can tell you this message too. Uh, incredibly, uh, they're, they're all converted. The Holy Spirit comes visibly to everyone who's there. Peter's still preaching. Uh, and the Holy Spirit comes visibly, audibly. Uh, We'll get to this later, but he comes in exactly the same way as at Pentecost. That comes up in chapter 11 as well. They reference it in exactly the same way uh, that he came to the Jews at Pentecost. He comes now with these other physical language, these other human languages declaring the wonders of God and it's witnessed by everyone who's there. And so Peter goes, this is great. And he baptizes them all. They're in. He gets the message. But scene change. Uh, there's a bit of drama. The circumcised, that is the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, uh, they, they hear of this and they're a bit worried and they criticise Peter. Look, they, they criticised him. Uh, that's not a derogatory phrase at this stage, circumcised believers, just saying that they're, they're all Jewish at this stage, except these new Gentiles in Cornelius' house. And they say, what are you doing? You shouldn't have gone into his house. 
You shouldn't be, you know the rules, you've read the Torah, Peter. Why are you there? Uh, Peter goes on into a long explanation, so that was what Kay read for us. Uh, Peter, that's what he tells them. He gives them, he said, well, this is what happened. Basically, judge for yourself. Uh, but the really, the crux of his explanation comes when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming to them. And he says, if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And that wins them over. So remember, they were, they were criticizing, they're saying, how dare you go into a Gentile's house? Have a look at their response, verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God. Isn't that a wonderful response? Uh, they've seen the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming on these Gentiles. They're won over, they were criticizing, how dare you go into their house? Now they're going, wow, this is amazing. Gentiles too have come into the family and they end up in joy. Uh, which leads us to scene five, the very end of the chapter that Kay didn't read. Uh, but this is where the, the fruit of that day happened. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. So they, they spread out preaching. Some people go to Antioch, which is quite a way on the map. You'll see Jerusalem's right at the bottom. Antioch's next down from Tarsus. Fair way up. And they, they preach to Christians in, uh, to Greeks, non-Jews in Antioch. A whole bunch of them become Christians. And a church springs up at Antioch. Uh, we, we have Barnabas showed up again. He, he's such a good guy, isn't he, Barnabas? He's the guy who sold his farm to give to the poor. He's the only one who would give Saul the time of day when he got converted. And now the apostles hear that there's something going on in Antioch. These Greeks are becoming Christians. Ah, we'll send Barnabas. Up he goes. Barnabas puts two and two together and says, I should get Saul here because he was commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So he goes to Tarsus, comes back to Antioch. Uh, together they minister in Antioch to this new church, uh, Jewish background, Greek background, Christians together for a whole year uh, until there comes to light that there's a famine. Uh, there's a famine in Judea and Jerusalem. Uh, through a prophet, Agabus reveals that there's a famine going on. And so these Gentile believers, these non-Jewish background believers, they show their unity with the Jews by reaching into their wallets and sending a gift down. And that's when you know unity's happened, doesn't it? When it's reached the wallet, that's when you know it's really been converted because they send money back. So in the same way the Jews rejoiced, wow, woohoo, uh, they've come, become Christians, the Gentiles say, our brothers and sisters, they've not got enough food, let's send some cash down their way. Uh, and that's the full circle, that's this incredible account. Now that is just a fly overview of Acts 10 and 11. Uh, but let's have a look at these four questions and answers that I feel have a lot to teach us. Uh, the first question that came up for me is, does God have favourites? Because God did have favourites in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've noticed that if you've read your Old Testament, uh, he chose one nation. He had a favourite nation. He's very clear about that. He says to them, you will be my treasured possession. That's my favourite thing. You're my treasure. And the others aren't. Uh, God did have favourites. They were set apart. And clearly, it wasn't because of anything they were or anything they did. The Old Testament tells us that. But still, God, he chose them, he divided them, he set them apart, and he gave them special treatment. Uh, he gave them rules as well. Um, the, the, the laws, a lot of the laws in Leviticus are around the division that he wants to make clear between his favourite people, the Jews, and everyone else. And the food laws are explicitly there as a divisive sign of their difference. Uh, it actually comes up there in Leviticus 20. I'll just read this. 
I'm um, the Lord your God who separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, the unclean bird from the clean. Uh, down to 26. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from all the peoples, that you should be mine. He makes it really clear the reason these rules are in is to show that you are separate, you are different. I'm holy, you'll be holy. I've divided these things, so you will divide these things. Uh, and you can see they're really clearly with the food laws. I don't know if you noticed it there. Um, they're not based on how clean that animal is. Um, some of the animals you can't eat are the rabbit, which is actually one of the most clean animals around. Uh, but also the pig and the camel. It's not based on how clean they are. It's based on their digestive system and their foot shape. So these really abstract rules, but God says, hey, you're clean, you're not, in the same way as he said to Israel, you are clean and the other nations are not. And, and it's to show this division. Uh, and it worked. It worked to divide Israel from the other nations. It was a mark of division. We saw that in today's passage, didn't it? Uh, when Peter's standing up preaching, he says to the Gentiles, you are well aware it is against our law to associate or visit with a Gentile. And that is because of the food laws. You have a big danger of breaking one of those food laws if you go to a Gentile's house. Because in that culture, you go to someone's house, they'll offer you something to eat. Now you don't know what they've been cooking with in the kitchen. You don't know whether they've got bacon in the kitchen or a bit of diced rabbit or some you know, camel juice or whatever it might be. Uh, you, you can't be sure, so they just didn't do it. They, they don't go to Gentile's house. And it made this division, this really strong division between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's against our law. And that's why the criticism came from Jerusalem. You, you went to their house, you ate with them. It worked as a division. But with Jesus comes a change. And that's what the food laws are all about. In Acts 10, God clearly shows Peter that these laws are abolished by commanding that he eat all these animals. You can't get clearer than that. Get up, kill them and eat them. And then that warning that he says, and hey, if you're thinking about doubting my commandments, don't you call anything impure that God has made clean. What, what, a, what a warning. And this isn't the first time that God has showed uh, Peter this. Uh, Jesus said it explicitly in Mark 7, uh, in some of his parables where he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, are you so dull? Uh, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can make them unclean, can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, makes it 200% clear by in the Bible saying, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Yeah, it's undisputed. Bacon is back on the menu for God's people. Uh, but as good as that is, this means something much greater than bacon. Uh, see, when Peter comes to Cornelius the Gentile's house and he sees all these Gentiles, uh, they're ready to hear the gospel, he realises what all these visions meant. He realises what removing the food law symbolises. He says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. In fact, that's how Peter starts his sermon. I realize now how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He's realized there's been a change. 
Now, God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't have one nation uh, that he'll take his message to. It's to everyone. And to prove, to back Peter up, to prove that Peter was on the money, God makes sure that all the Jewish background believers there can see and hear the coming of the Holy Spirit in the same visible and audible way that he came to the Jewish converts at Pentecost. Verse uh, 44, while Peter's still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, they came with Peter from Joppa, who'd come with him. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit uh, in the, just in the same way as we have. And what's remarkable in this chapter is Peter actually confesses in chapter 11 that he would have stood in their way if he didn't have this evidence. His cultural beliefs were so strong when it came to Gentiles that he would have stood in his way. I don't know if you saw that, 17. Uh, Peter's speaking to the Jews. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? He says, that was my attitude. I was up there thinking I could stand in God's way and God said, no, who are you, Peter? I'm going to show you by the coming of my Holy Spirit in the same way I sent him at Pentecost. Who are you to stand in my way? And so Peter steps aside. So that's our first big question in this passage. Does, does God have favourites? Well, he did. He absolutely did in the Old Testament, but not anymore. And this is news that's better than bacon. Uh, and now into our next question in the passage, uh, do good people need Jesus? Uh, now this question, I reckon, comes really clearly from this passage because the, the quintessential good person, isn't that Cornelius? Isn't he the best person you can imagine? Um, surely no one is better. He's devout, he's, uh, he's God-fearing, he and all his family. Uh, they're prayerful, they're generous, uh, especially generous to the Jewish people. Uh, he's, he's a good guy, he fears God. He prays, he believes, he's not an, an atheist who's out to destroy the church. He's not someone who says, I don't want God, I don't want to have anything to do with him. He's devout, he's good, and he wants to chase God. And reading parts of this passage, we might think that he's in. Uh, you might have seen there in verse 34, uh, where Peter's speaking, he says, uh, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, if we just had that verse, and then the description of Cornelius, Acts 10.34 and Cornelius, you might say, huh, that says that God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Do they really need Jesus? They just need to accept, uh, they just need to fear God and do the right thing. Be generous and pray. Maybe they don't need Jesus. But, but when we dig into the passage and say, well, what does God's acceptance look like? What does God's response to Cornelius look like? See, God accepted Cornelius' prayers and his generosity, his devotion. He responded not by saying to Cornelius, hey, Cornelius, you're a good guy. Let's call it square. You're good enough. You're in my family. Instead, he accepts Cornelius by offering him salvation, by saying to Cornelius, you need forgiveness and I'm willing to offer it to you. Did you see that in verse 13? Um, so, uh, so this is uh, in chapter 11. Uh, no, no, this is still in chapter 10, sorry. Uh, Peter's, 
So Cornelius is speaking. He's saying to Peter, this is what happened. Uh, he told us how he'd seen an angel appear in his house uh, and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Sorry, that is in chapter 11. So he will bring you a message uh, in which you and all your household will be saved. So here's Cornelius, the best person you can imagine. He prays, he believes in God, he fears God, he's devout, he's generous. And God says, you still need saving, you will be saved. And without this message, you won't be saved. Paul says it really clearly too in Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name Paul writes, uh, in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on, on the one in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? It is only by explicit, humble repentance and faith in the name of Jesus, in his saving work, that anyone can be saved. Uh, if you're good, if you're a good person but don't trust Jesus, and that might be you today. Uh, maybe you're coming along to church, you pray, you believe in God. Uh, maybe you're watching along here online and you think, no, nah, I'm good with God, I pray, I try and do the right thing, I believe in God, I just don't want to follow Jesus yet. If that's you, you're not good enough. Cornelius wasn't good enough. But God is holding to you out salvation. God says, hey, I accept your seeking of me. I accept your seeking of me. You want, to, you want to be in my family? I will forgive you through Jesus. Come on in. And maybe, maybe you are a Christian, maybe you are following Jesus, but the devil is whispering in your ear that your friend, your family member... You know, they believe, they pray, they believe in God, they're good people. So they're okay. But if they're not actively believing and trusting and following Jesus for their salvation, they're not okay. Cornelius, he wasn't okay. You're not actively believing, trusting and following Jesus for your salvation, you're not okay. The good news is being held out to them. Forgiveness is on offer, but they're not okay. Good people, even devout, praying, God-fearing, generous people, desperately need salvation in Jesus. It's one of the big questions and answers from this passage. So that's our first two questions. Um, does God have favourites? Do good people need Jesus? The next one is, is quite a quick one. Uh, is God hiding? I don't know if you saw that question in this passage, uh, but perhaps you've been searching for God and are waiting for him to show himself. Maybe you're a bit like Cornelius, you're praying, you're searching for God, and you're like, God, I just need you to reveal yourself. I'm almost there. Just stop hiding from me. Or maybe you're frustrated because your friends can't seem to find Jesus. I reckon Cornelius probably felt a bit like this. It seems he's been searching for God for years. You don't get your whole household following God, devout and God-fearing in just a few weeks. Uh, he's been searching for God for years. He knows that the God of the Jews is the one true God. He believes that. He's been trying to honour him. He's generous to the poor, especially the Jews. He's fearing God in his heart. He's praying. But he knows he hasn't truly found God. He knows he's not in God's family. He, he recognises there's something missing. What do you think Cornelius' prayers looked like? What do you think Cornelius was praying all those years? 
See, I've had people say to me, hey, I pray, I pray, but I don't pray for myself. I only pray for other people. Uh, and often it's said in a way that says, and that's a good thing, because I'm, I'm so generous, I, I don't need prayer, other people need it more than me. Surely Cornelius was praying for himself, and he was saying, Yahweh, God of the Jews, reveal yourself to me. God, I, I want to be in your family. I can't. I, I, I'm, I'm not in your family yet, but I want to know you. I know I'm not good enough. I know I excluded. Please, I beg Show yourself to me. Surely that was his prayers. I reckon that was his prayers because that's how God answers. Did you see it in verse 31? Cornelius, this is the the angel responding to Cornelius' prayer. God has heard your prayers. He's remembered your gifts to the poor. Here's the answer. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. God hears and he answers by revealing himself, by sending Peter. His messenger, his witness. That's what a testimony is. It reveals something about Jesus. And that's what Peter said in verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one whom God appointed to judge as the living of the dead. Uh, That he is the one uh, through whom forgiveness of sins will come through his name. I want to encourage you that if you're seeking and praying that God will reveal himself. I want to encourage you with this story. I want to encourage you with uh, Jesus' promise in Luke 11. Jesus says, seek, or ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. God is not hiding from those who are seeking him. He wants to be found. He wants to respond. And he usually does this. In fact, in the New Testament, he always does this by sending his people. Yes, there might be a vision directing them to his people, but he does it through his people, through the good news that his people bring. Today, uh, this message uh, might be the way that God is revealing himself to you. Uh, And if it's your Christian friend, uh, I want to encourage you, yeah, God, God isn't hiding from them. Keep witnessing to them. You are the way God is revealing, uh, revealing himself to your friend. Uh, If you're hearing the good news of Jesus, whether it's today or in another context, that is Jesus standing in front of you, inviting you in. And if you've got friends in that situation, be Peter to them. Which leads us to our our final question from this passage. How does God save people? See, some people uh, kind of picture God as hands off when it comes to salvation. Uh, Like God can do other stuff, like he can heal and stuff, but when it comes to salvation, no, God's God's hands off. Uh, and God says, you know what, here, I'll give you Jesus. I'll arrange uh, his life, his death, his resurrection. I'll make this saving grace available to everyone now. It's up to you. But that's not what we see here in the Bible, is it? We see God's hands all over people's salvation. God's not hands off. He's hands in. Uh, just take the examples from the last three chapters of Acts. Uh, in chapter 8, Uh, The end of chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, you remember that? Uh, Philip went to Samaria preaching. uh, And it's not enough that he just goes to Samaria. God's got his hands all over this eunuch's uh, salvation. And he says to, to, to Philip in a vision, hey, I want your head down. I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you when to go. And when he got there, there's a guy in his chariot reading Isaiah about Jesus. Uh, God is all over this. What about next chapter, Acts chapter 9? Saul, 
He's got hands off in Saul's conversion. No way. Jesus appears to him on the road. Hey, Saul, I've got you. I want you. Here's what you must do. Saul can do nothing but obey. He sends another vision to Ananias. He arranges it. He gets his people in there. Make sure that the right people are in the right place at the right time. Cornelius. God's not hands off in Cornelius' conversion. He sends Cornelius a vision. He sends Peter a vision. He makes sure they line up at just the right time. He sends his Holy Spirit visibly. It's all there. Visions, directions, placing his people in the right place at the right time to share with those he wants in his family. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, uh, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That first little verse, I thought about dropping the next two off because there's a lot of big words in there. But it's all about salvation, isn't it? God works in all things for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's all about salvation. It's all about saving people. God working, calling, saving, actively intervening in the world to save people. And he does it through his people all the time. Have a look with me a little bit later on in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul goes to Athens. Uh, He's famously giving a sermon in the Areopagus, a place where they discuss theological things. And here's just part of his sermon, which applies to this. Acts 17, 26. Paul says, from one man he made the nations. That is God. God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, that is God, God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not very far from any one of us. Do you get that? God says God has appointed, he's decreed, he's ordained both the time you live and the place you live. The time people live at the boundaries of the lands, where your yard ends and your neighbour's yard starts. Whether you're born in Australia or Cambodia, who your neighbours are, I just heard a testimony, actually it was from uh, David Cook, who was the uh, previous two principals at SMBC, at our Bible college. He was there for 27 years. Uh, his dad was converted uh, because he was put as a pairing with a salesman. Uh, and he was put as a pairing with a salesman who no one else wanted to go to because this other guy was a Christian and was always witnessing. Uh, and David looks at this and he sees it so clearly. That's why my family are Christians. Because God arranged it so that he would be placed with this Christian guy who would witness to him. God does this all the time. It's no accident that you live where you live. Whether you are a Christian or whether you're not yet a Christian. It's no accident you know the people you know. It's no accident you work with the people you work with. God's ordained, God's appointed the times and places. Why? So that so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him. God's working everything, where and when we live, who we're paired with, to save people. Basically, this passage, in fact, the whole of Acts, it shows us that if, if you're one of Jesus' people, uh, one of Christ's people, 
Even in Acts 11, it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians, Christ's people, Jesus' people. If you're a Christian, you are on about mission because that's what God's on about. You're on, if you're a Christian, that's, that's what it means to be in God's family. That's the family business. That's what God's working at. And you might have done, not, not done your research and thought, I'll live there because that will give me opportunities to witness. You might not have thought that. I'll take that job because that will give me opportunities to witness. But God thought about it. God planned it. He's put you where and when to be on vision. So I want to encourage us to, to pray to be praying that God will work through us by the plans that he has, in the ways that he is working, so many of them unseen and unknown by us, that we will be his tools. If you're a Christian, that we will be uh, his, his outreach tools to those we know and love. I encourage us to invest because you don't know. You don't know who's God's placed here. You don't know whether this might be a Cornelius or a Saul or an Ethiopian eunuch, someone who is God is working on, that he wants you to witness to so that they will come into the family. I encourage you to invite them. Maybe someone's popped into your head just now. Maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting you right now to bring someone along this Saturday to the meet night or to say, hey, come along and check out church. Maybe it's you that God has ordained to know that person, to be at this church, so that they might perhaps reach out and find him. I'm going to pray now, and I want to encourage us to, to pray with me and that God will be doing this in, in us. And, and if you're not yet a Christian, that God will reveal himself to you. Please join me. Father God, we thank you and praise you. Uh, that you are the God of the universe who not only sees and knows everything, but you are loving and powerful and that you have a great longing to bring many, many people into your family. We thank you that for many of us here today, you've done just that uh, through different people, uh, maybe our parents, maybe a friend, maybe it was someone who witnessed to our parents, but you brought us into your family by placing people in times and places so that we might reach out and find you. And we, we thank you that you have done this in and for us. And we pray uh, for those of us who do follow Jesus, who have accepted him, that we would be willing tools, willing and active instruments. Please use us. Uh, fill us with your spirit. Guide us. Help us to be loving and kind and generous. Help us to invest in others and to reach out and to boldly and bravely with gentleness and respect share the good news of Jesus everywhere we can knowing that you are working behind the scenes to draw people to yourself and what I want to pray Father for those here today who, who maybe are seeking you or who feel as though you are not near to them Lord please reveal yourself to them through this passage through these words by your Holy Spirit please draw them into your family and we, we thank you and we trust that you will be doing this uh, in us and in our community. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was our uh, whirlwind cover of Acts 10-11. Uh, As usual, question time. Uh, Rob's got a mic. He's going to come around. Text him in if you want the anonymous option. Nathan, 
He's up, up the back. If we can have someone over here next, and then over there, it'll be good for Rob. That's good. Uh, in verse four, where the angel says to Cornelius, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering hmm. before God. Um, yeah, I've just been really confused by that verse <laughs> all week and just trying to understand what that means in the context of what you're trying to talk about with seeking and like, um, I guess it's, it's almost like devout people who, who are kind of, yeah, that picture of, you know, true seekers, I guess, um, looking for the truth. Is this kind of like their prayers, a seen by God in that way, and then he will send someone like, like Peter, not obviously in the exact same way, but um, to mm. kind of get where I'm <laughs> getting at with that question, like, like it, how much of, of that memorial offering is, I guess, normative perhaps, or like, um, yeah, what, does that, yep. what does it mean, yeah? Yeah, look, um, thank, thanks, Nate. So, so how, how, do we, how do we read this? Uh, this is one of those times where I'd encourage you, if you come across that, and I'm sure you have this week, read it in a few different uh, translations. So read the NIV, read the NSB, read the ESB, uh, and see if some of those different English translations help you get a better picture of what the Greek's trying to say, the Greek being the original language the New Testament was written in. Um, the word there is just a single word, um, and it's for, I've just looked it up on my Bible software, which is super easy. don't have the Greek here in front of me. I'm not doing all this exegesis, don't you worry, uh, here and there. Uh, a record, a memorial, or a remembrance that can be used. So they, they, they've tried to use this memorial offering as a, uh, trying to capture this, um, this picture that Cornelius's prayers have been, have been noticed and accepted. So later on the passage, we see that. So Peter says it's been accepted, uh, you know, people who do good. So, uh, so that's where we go, well, God has heard and responded, has accepted these prayers. Uh, the memorial or remembrance, um, I'm really uh, prompted to think of Egypt uh, and when the cries of the people, so that's what God says to Moses, the cry, I, God, I've remembered the cries of my people, I've remembered them. And it's not saying that God forgot that he had a nation, they were enslaved. Oh, that's right, I forgot about it for 400 years. Now, oh, that's right, I've got the Israelites down there in Egypt. But it's this, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's remembrance. So they're trying, trying to capture that in, in, in that way. Um, does that help? Do you want to follow up? What's, what's, the, what's confused you about what's happening in this interaction between Cornelius and, and God with his prayers. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's the fact that it's like uh, his, his prayers are prompting God to then send, send something. Yeah. So it's like, yes, yeah, so it's like, I guess, the, because, because he's seeking, because he's praying to God, God's then responding. Mm. And then thinking about uh, other, other devout people, you know, devout Muslims or, or you know, just yep. nice atheists or, or, or whatever it is. Yep. Like, does their devout, like, uh, how does that kind of relate to this in the sense of them, them saying their devout prayers and does God receive them in that kind of same way? Mm. Um, and is God then sending Peter because of Cornelius's prayer? Because just because because of that phrase that he's receiving them like that way, mm. um, it, it sounds like because of his prayers, I'm now going to 
Great. Does that kind of yeah? Go I think so. Yeah. Um, and and the answer is that prayer is one of those those things. Well, how does prayer work if God's already got plans and He knows what's going to happen? What what do our prayers do? God does interact with our prayer and, and hears our prayers. I think we even ducked into it earlier in Acts when we saw Stephen's dying prayer: uh, "Lord, forgive their sins." Uh, and Saul's standing there. And you know, next chapter, what's God doing? Forgiving Saul's sins. And you're like, wow, well, did God not plan for that and, and respond? No, God still planned for that, but he, he responded to Stephen's prayer. I think it's, it's even stronger here. So did God already plan that Cornelius, you know, did God predestine before the foundation of the world that Cornelius would be in his family? Yes, a hundred times yes. That's what the, the Bible teaches us. But is God responding to Cornelius's genuine seeking and revealing himself, making himself known? Absolutely. I think that's what we see in uh, Luke. I think it was Luke 11 that we went to where Jesus says, yeah, he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And, and I encourage you to read that whole chapter. Jesus is, uh, it's this, the, the account of, hey, if, if a son asks for a fish, will he be given a scorpion? No, you know, you're an evil dad and you don't do that. God's even better. So he's saying, hey, you seek me genuinely. I will be found by you. And I'll make sure that happens by getting the good news to you. So I want to be really clear. It's not you seek me genuinely, you're saved or you're good enough. No, being genuine and devout isn't good enough. Cornelius wasn't. But God responded to his genuine God-fearing seeking heart and made sure he got Peter in the same room with the good news of Jesus. Um, so, yeah, yeah, responsive. Thanks, Nate. Um, Peter, thank you. I'll wait for the mic because then, oh. the, uh, then they'll pick okay. it up through the... Whoa. How did, how did Cornelius have a genuine God-seeking heart? How did he have a genuine God-seeking heart? If he wasn't yet saved. Yes. Right? And uh, does this tell us about... God doing something in people's lives before they even know it to Thank enable them to mm -hmm. do what would be very clear here to be righteous acts and yeah. we know in Ephesians 2 that uh, we are saved by grace mm. it's a gift of God yes. and it is nothing that we do yep yeah, th thanks, Peter. That's that's another massive question, and I'll get saved by the bell soon. Uh, but it's a it's a huge question, a really accurate and helpful observation that we are saved by grace, and even uh, through faith, and even that faith is a, is a gift from God. It's this this picture that God is the one who's working in us. It's not not our goodness. So it's not that I oh, somehow something in me or something in Cornelius was naturally so good that God was like, you're such a good person, Cornelius. I'll make you my, uh, into, my, fam into my, my child. So the question becomes, when does God work in people? Uh, is it only after they uh, you know, pray the believer's prayer or is he working in people beforehand? I think the Bible's pretty clear that he's working in people beforehand. He calls, he grants repentance. Um, he gives grace, he gives faith. Uh, and all that needs to happen to, to be working. Um, so how did Cornelius get there? I don't know the exact uh, time. We don't know exactly how God works in people's hearts to bring them to repentance, because that's, that's what happens. People are brought to and granted repentance. 
but I agree with you, it's something that God does, uh, that God gives as, a, as a, even a pre-conversion gift as part of that process to bring them to a place where they have this heart that is truly seeking God. Um, does that, is that what you're asking? Way. Along the way, that's yeah. good. Oh, that's that. It's a big subject. Well, I, so I guess the thing is that we live in a a, a society, a, a religious cultural society, where you've got to do something mm. so that God will act. Yes, yes. We need to be clear that to believe in Jesus mm. is a is a, a work of God. Yep. It is not something we do. Mm although the belief is an expression that we have. It reflects God's work Mm. and it doesn't reflect some goodness in us. Uh, Amen, I I reckon I'll I'll leave leave that at there. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Did you have one, Lawrence, or were you just scratching your head earlier? Small question. Small question, okay, we'll have a small question. So it's, it's pretty clear that, that God does everything. He, um, he, well, he brings us to repentance. He grants us repentance, um, gives us the faith to believe in Jesus. So why are only some of us saved? Hmm. So why doesn't he give that to everybody? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I hate to hear your big question. Yeah, thanks, Mal. Um, yeah, and that's um, so. So actually, I very, very briefly touched on that when I mentioned that it's clear in the Old Testament that it's not because the Jews are better that they are chosen, and the Old Testament says it explicitly. It's not because you're a great nation. It's not because you are more numerous. It's not because they were great uh, or good in any way that God chose them of all the other nations. But it says, nonetheless, even so, He chose them. The answer is, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, who God chooses and why. He does tell us explicitly, it's not because we're any better, smarter, more useful in any way. It's not because, and I think that's what Peter was saying, it's not because we have done something previously to merit it in any way. Uh, but he does, does give that to some and not others. And yeah, that's a, the Bible. And he, he, he doesn't explain how and why he chooses. Uh, except to say it's, it's not that, so don't you be proud. Because <laughs> he didn't even give you that because you were, had potential. You know, so there's, there's, there's no reason for pride, which is where Paul goes in Ephesians 2, where Paul lands. And I'm going to let Rob land us there. So thanks, Rob.